of God, our mother, our brother, and our friend. Amen. Please be seated. To figure out where to put my hands. It's fine. It's just the unexpected things of life. You, you suddenly, you don't know where to put your hands. Anyway. What a night this must have been for Gabriel. In my imagination, as crazy as it is, the gospel reading plays out a little bit like a scene in a science fiction movie. Gabriel disembarks from his angelic shuttle in the absolute middle of nowhere and looks around, puzzled. He pages God on his intercom and says, are you sure these are the right coordinates? There's nothing here. Back at HQ, God checks Gabriel's location on the map and replies, look, it's right there. You're in the right place. Go inside the house on your left. And as Gabriel moves toward the most run-down house he can see, he thinks to himself, this can't be right. The house is empty except for a few sheep, and there's a child in the corner. She's combing out the kinks from her long, dark hair. And Gabriel intercoms to God again, there's no one here. And God replies, Gabriel, she's right in front of you. Come on. And God turns off the intercom and goes back to knitting. <laughs> Gabriel makes himself known as he moves into the house. A soft, warm radiance fills the room. And the young girl turns toward the doorway, expecting to see her parents and the light of their lantern as they return home from synagogue. But instead, her eyes focus on the glowing image of something otherworldly. You've seen these sci-fi movies, you know what I mean, the sort of, anyway. Mary's house has an intruder. And here she is, a young girl alone with a mysterious man who has appeared seemingly out of nowhere. And she senses something, not necessarily a voice that speaks to her, but a feeling deep within her being. 
as if her very soul is speaking to her. As the stranger says, greetings, favored one. And Gabriel looks down at this girl, terrified, with a comb still stuck in her hair. And he pauses for a moment, frees the comb from its tangle, and says, do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid. And Mary is still bewildered and afraid as the stranger speaks to her and says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Her eyes widen. He will be called the son of the most high. And hundreds of questions race through her head, not even full questions, just little blips of questions. How can, but who? And eventually she manages to utter a small okay. And she sits in stunned silence for a moment. And as the pieces come together, she asks, but I haven't known a man, how can this happen? Gabriel explains the miraculous things that God can do. Mary ponders, completely still, and finally turns her face to Gabriel and says, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. She says, yes. And now that Mary has agreed, the strange, glowing man disappeared as quickly as he came. Do not be afraid. Her visitor's voice echoes through her head the whole night long. Nothing will be impossible with God. What a strange thing for a young girl to hear. If we put ourselves in the mindset of early Christians, we might hear this story differently. Before we even know who Jesus is, we meet Mary, the girl chosen to be his mother. And we would know that Mary is a young girl, a position in society that gave her no worth, not until she's married and has children. And she's from Nazareth. Nazareth. The shanty town in the middle of nowhere, a day's walk from anything interesting. Ah, she's a nobody. Nobody, living at the back end of beyond. North, south, east, and west of nowhere. And remember Nathaniel's question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, that's where she grew up. There's really nothing working to her advantage. Her parents tried, but they're poorer than dirt. They could only do so much. 
They taught her some basic skills, cooking, weaving, caring for the sheep. And they did arrange for her to marry Joseph, the local carpenter, who built every table between here and Magdala. He's a little bit older, but he got, he's got a donkey. Is at least wealthier than her parents, Anna and Joachim. Maybe this marriage could work out for her. She seems to be set up to be the perfect wife, except for the already pregnant thing. And Gabriel's message follows her everywhere. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary, the unimaginably ordinary boring Mary is somehow going to bear the son of God. She probably thought to herself, that dude with the wings had the wrong house. And despite all of these things about Mary's life, those early Christians would see Mary as a true heroine. but there's something a little more nuanced in her story, something that those early Christians would have picked up on fairly easily, that Mary's yes to Gabriel, to God, is a little subversive. So let's shake off our modern assumptions about Mary's life. If we just were presented with the details in Luke's narrative, as if we were living a hundred years after Jesus' death. How would you see Mary? I would see Mary as provocative, knowing all of the stories about the Messiah, the one who is to come. And then the angel comes to Mary, and not only does she agree to do something, by her own will, without the permission of her parents or her betrothed, but she agrees to participate in God's plan of salvation. She agrees to give birth to that long-awaited savior, the one who comes to set the captive free, restore sight to the blind, and liberate the oppressed. Because after all, Nothing will be impossible with God. The early Christians saw that binary that Mary was ordinary, just another girl from a nowhere town, and extraordinary. That God found her and asked her to bear the Son of God. And we can imagine how unsettling this could have been for Mary. She would have also known these prophecies of the Messiah to know where this is headed and know that it would not be easy. Imagine how inadequate she must have felt, how unprepared. But she said yes. And then within Mary's song, the Magnificat, there's that similar subversive promise of liberation from captivity, from oppression, 
He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The early Christians hear this and understood the subtext of Mary's message. This is about Rome. This is about Egypt. This is about the theological, political power of the temple, about any display of empire. And with Mary's bold yes, the kings and emperors would no longer oppress the poor and downtrodden. The poor would overtake the rich, toppling their palaces and emptying their granaries. Her declaration is borderline seditious. And she says yes, because she believes, even before knowing him, that the son of hers will someday rule the nations as God has promised, because nothing will be impossible with God. I find that when God is leading me, sometimes pushing me, sometimes dragging me into a situation where I have to pick between myself and my desires and my whatever, and God's call for me. I need to channel this Mary person, this nowhere girl, just a little bit Maybe you can relate. Normally, I might just say to God, I think you've got the wrong person. No matter how unprepared I feel, how inadequate I feel, how ordinary I feel, there's always a little yes hidden within all that doubt. Tiny little Mary on my shoulder with a little cardboard sign that says yes. We all need one of those. Because along the journey of our lives, there are so many little moments where God invites us, ordinary people, to say yes. God invites us to welcome Mary's decision. Sorry, God invites us to mirror Mary's decision to welcome Jesus, to love Jesus, to love all of humanity by bringing Jesus into this world. And the story of Mary reminds us of one important thing, one thing I hope we can remember not just at Christmas, that no matter who you are, where you are, where you've come from, God has a proposal for you. And if you believed, as Mary did, that nothing would be impossible with God, what is it that you would say yes to? Amen. Amen.